0: Hello, welcome to the Lansing Area Church of Christ's weekly message podcast. If you'd like to learn more about LACC, please visit us online at lansingchurch.org. This week, Alex Bryant started a new series on Paul's letter to the Philippians called The Heart of Christ. Today's lesson looked at Acts chapter 16 and Philippians chapter 1 and was called The Source of Joy. Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you all. If you guys don't know who I am, my name is Alex. My wife and I, we lead the youth ministries here at the Lansing Area Church of Christ. Um, If you've been uh, here recently, you know Joel's been preaching through the book of Luke. That's been his series. Um, It's called Eats with Sinners. It's focusing on the hospitality of Jesus. Um, Our greater theme for the whole year has been to live as Christ, which is looking at Jesus through the eyes of Paul. And that's why. Joel's preaching through Luke, because Luke spent a significant amount of time with Paul. Um, His theology was probably informed a little bit by Paul, um, and so that's kind of why we're we're spending some time in that gospel. Uh, I'm going to preach a few more times this year, and and when I'm up here preaching, I'm going to do a series on Philippians called The Heart of Christ. So that's what I'm going to start this morning. Um, So uh, the book of Philippians, Paul wrote this letter. It's one of the the prison epistles, uh, along with Philemon, Colossians, and Ephesians, and Paul wrote it while he was under house arrest in Rome, uh, just not long before he uh, was, was martyred, before he was killed. Uh, but before we get into the letter, uh, I wanted to get a little bit of context about Paul's relationship with the church in Philippi uh, from the account in Acts of the time that he spent there. So you guys can turn to Acts 16 if you want. Uh, if you're taking notes, the title of the sermon today is The Source of Joy. Um, so it's important to note right right before this in, in Acts chapter 15 at the end uh, of chapter 15, Paul and and his first traveling companion Barnabas they they'd split up. Um, they, pa- Barnabas was his companion during his first missionary journey, uh, and then at the beginning of the second, they kind of get into this disagreement. Barnabas wants to take Mark with them, um, but Mark had kind of deserted them on the first missionary trip, and Paul was like, ah, I don't know about this guy. I'm not I'm not so sure about that. And, and the Bible says they had a sharp disagreement, and they went their separate ways. and Barnabas went with Mark, and Paul took this guy named Silas. Um, And so that was his companion uh, on a second missionary journey. And then in the beginning of chapter 16, Paul recruits this young disciple named Timothy, who would go on to kind of become his main protege. And then here, beginning in verse uh, 11 of chapter 16, the pronouns, if you notice, if you read before this, they switch from they to we. And we know Luke wrote the book of Acts. So at this point, we we kind of are to understand that Luke is joining them as well. He, He kind of joined their party at Troas. Uh, so at this point, Paul's kind of entourage it consists of at least Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Um, so we're going to pick up here in verse 11. Uh, and this is, this is Paul's time in Philippi. I'm going to read verses 11 through 40. So we'll, we'll dig in here a little bit. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and, his all, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent to the police saying, let these men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, no. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, well, that was a lot that happened in, in a pretty short amount of time, I think. Uh, I'm going I'm to break it down real quick. I think there's kind of three main things that happen here. First, they meet Lydia, who's this, this prominent woman in the city of Philippi, uh, they make their first conversion, and they establish a house church in her house. That's a pretty good start. Um, then they drive out this spirit of divination out of this slave girl, which I think is a really interesting story. I feel like you could really kind of get lost in the weeds with it. I'm not going to dive too deep into it, but it's interesting that Luke is pretty careful with how he words this. He doesn't say it's an unclean spirit, which is a phrase he uses other times. He doesn't say it's a demon, but it's a spirit of divination, uh, which you know, maybe that's why it's kind of an interesting story. Like, Paul doesn't immediately cast it out. He's pretty patient with it and only casts it out after he's annoyed. It's a weird story. Uh, but side note, it's interesting to think about what may have happened to this girl after this incident, right? The narrative kind of immediately moves on to the rest of Paul and Silas, and the chapter kind of continues there, but she no longer has this spirit of divination that made her valuable to her enslavers. So, uh, I- I've heard that some speculate that she may have been set free or escaped and then actually become a member of the church in Philippi, which is a pretty cool idea. We don't know. Uh, we don't have any idea exactly if that happened, but it's a cool thought. Um, so that's that's a tangent, but um, I just thought it was interesting. So third thing that happens in Philippi is they spend a night in prison. There's an earthquake. They stop the jailer from committing suicide, and, and he's just like so moved. He comes in, and he's like, what do I have to do to be safe? Like, how do I get to be like you guys? He probably was like, pretty impacted by the fact that they're sitting in prison, a pretty bleak situation, and they're singing psalms and hymns. Um, and it says that the prisoners were listening to them. And I imagine the jailer was too. Like, and that's his, his first instinct as soon as he sees that you know, this, this crazy situation has happened, he, he wants to know how to, be, how to be like them, how to have the peace that Paul and Silas had. And so they convert another household in Philippi. And the Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long Paul and his company spent in Philippi, but I, I don't think it can have been more than a couple weeks, maybe even only a few days. Uh, and, and so much happens, and then they get kicked out and they move on. But this is the context that, that Paul has with the church in Philippi. Uh, we can probably assume that he had some other correspondence with them outside of this time, maybe through letters or through messengers. Uh, but as far as we know, this is the only time he spent in Philippi. And scholars estimate that Paul wrote Philippians about 10 years after he initially journeyed to Philippi. In that time, a lot happened to Paul. Uh, He finished his second missionary journey, went out on his third missionary journey, returned to Jerusalem. He was arrested. He was tried before three people in Jerusalem, Felix, Festus, and Herod Agrippa. He spent a pretty significant amount of time in prison there. He was then sent to Rome because he appealed to Caesar. On his way to Rome, he was shipwrecked on an island. Eventually, he made it to Rome where, up to this point, he'd been living under house arrest. So it's a lot of mileage and suffering endured in that time. And yet, it's interesting if you read the book of Philippians, there's one thing you really just can't miss, and that's the seam of joy. Paul repeatedly talks about joy or rejoicing. He talks about it about 16 times in four short chapters. He just can't stop bringing it up. And it makes me wonder, how was Paul able to be so joyful in such a difficult time in his life? And it convicts me, too, because so little, I feel like, is needed for me to lose my joy, right? It's, it's so easy for me to be in a sour mood. Like, the, the most, like, trivial thing can happen to me, and I'm just, like, put off for an hour. Like, God forbid my sports team loses, okay? Don't talk to me for, like, an hour if the Lions lose on a Sunday. Seriously, you can ask my way. I remember in, like, 2015, maybe you guys remember this. I started, six years ago, I remember this. But Michigan State it was the number two seed in the NCAA tournament. It was like Denzel Valentine's last year. And I remember watching it. I was so hyped. You know, of course I had them winning all my brackets. And then first game, we lose to the 15 seed, Middle Tennessee State University out of nowhere. It was the worst game I've ever watched of basketball, I swear. I, I literally had to get out of my apartment and, like, take a walk around the block. I think I've improved since then. I don't know. You can ask my wife. Uh, but but literally, like, so little for me to lose my joy, Right. Yet Paul, he's endured so much, so much more suffering than I have, and is currently in, like, arrested, sitting under house arrest, and yet he can talk about how much joy he has. Why is that? I want to look at three things in Philippians 1 that might help us get a glimpse of what Paul focused on that helped him remain joyful, even under extreme hardship. How was Paul able to find joy, even in difficult circumstances? Well, I think first, he was focused outward. Okay, so we'll read Philippians 1. You guys can turn there with me. We'll, we'll hang out in Philippians 1 for the rest of this time. Okay, Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you were all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus." And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So Paul, I think, intentionally set his focus outward when he was going through hardship. And I don't want us to look at this and think that Paul just kind of ignored his problems. I don't think that's what's happening here. I think there's a difference between ignoring and denying, right? Ignoring is kind of this passive, like, it's not what he's doing here. Denying is is an active step. Ignoring is pretending like something doesn't exist, like, even though it does. It's almost never a helpful approach to any circumstance to ignore it. But denying is acknowledging that what you're going through is difficult. You feel what you're feeling. You process your hardship but you choose not to dwell in the negativity. I'll never forget Joel saying in a sermon one time that joy is a choice, right? It's not a feeling. Happiness is a feeling, but you choose to be joyful. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, right? I think in times of difficulty, we live in a society that encourages us to focus inward. It encourages us to indulge like, whatever selfish interests we may have, whatever that looks like for you. Maybe it's like spending a whole weekend just curled up in a blanket, watching Netflix, ordering takeout, treating ourselves to things we can't really afford, satisfying whatever selfish urge we may have during that time, just in order to comfort ourselves. And what I'm suggesting is that there may be a better way to deal with hardship than that. And what seems to be working for Paul here is that he remained extremely outward-focused. And two things he focused outwardly on. One, he he focused on spiritual partnership. Okay, and this is an emphasis on both words. It's not just partnership, it's not just spiritual. Spiritual partnership. If you notice, like the third word of the letter, it says Paul and Timothy, right? I imagine, I, I would imagine that house arrest is, is probably a pretty easy situation if you want to isolate yourself, right? Yet he found a way and he made sure that he had his friends with him, his closest friend. I want to ask you guys, in, in times of hardship, what is your default? Do you push people away or do you seek people out? You know, we have a great opportunity. I know it's been a tough year for uh, social interaction in general, tough year and a half. Um, But we have this great opportunity. We have house churches coming up. We're reconnecting. We're rekindling those house churches. It's a great opportunity to build or reconnect with people that you've lost touch with. Please take that opportunity. You know, spiritual partnerships, they won't just appear when you need them, okay, or when you're going through difficulties. They have to be built ahead of time. They have to be built now. You know, Timothy didn't just happen to be in Rome at this time. He wasn't just some random disciple from the church there who just, he's like, oh, Paul's in town. I'm going to pop in and say hi. Timothy was Paul's right-hand guy. Paul invested considerable time and resources into Timothy. To the point that in other letters, he refers to him as his spiritual son. I want to ask you guys, what relationships are you investing in? If any, who are your best and your closest friends? Are they spiritual people? In times of hardship, will those who have the most influence on you direct you toward or away from God? These are great questions for reflection. Do you have relationships like these? They say, if you need a friend, be a friend, right? Spend intentional time thinking of other people. Pray for them. Ask about their lives. Think of ways to encourage them and spend time with them. Please, we need each other, guys. We need relationships in the church. It's so important. Uh, The second thing I think Paul was focused on was gratitude. Paul was grateful. You know, even as he starts this letter, he doesn't just immediately jump into his own circumstances, but first he expresses just his gratitude for his relationship with this church, this church that he didn't spend that much time with, and yet he has this depth of relationship with them. There's a cliche, uh, you might have heard it, it says, count your blessings, Yeah. But it's so true. I think when when something difficult happens, when you're going through something hard, it seeks to dominate your entire outlook on life, right? Intentionally thinking about the things that you have to be grateful for helps to place things, I think, in a broader perspective, amen? Okay, the second thing I think Paul focused on uh, was on advancing the gospel. We'll keep reading in Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. You guys with me? Amen. All right. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. But Paul's thought a lot about this. Like this isn't just something like some offhanded thing that, like he's like, he's able to identify specific things that his imprisonment has actually like been used to help advance the gospel, he says, "No, the the, all, the whole imperial guard knows who I am and what I'm about." And in addition to that, others have been emboldened by my imprisonment. He's able to identify those specifically, which I think is really cool. You know, even as he acknowledged the difficulties, the hardships that he's experiencing, that he was in prison, he focused on what positive things God was doing through them. And it's not like this shallow, like, "Oh, it could be worse." Or Like, oh, you know, I may be homeless, but at least I don't have a mortgage now. Like, you know, this kind of like, this is fine meme. I see this all the time. Oh, this is fine. While everything's just crumbling and burning around you. That's not Paul's attitude here. He's not not being superficial. He was genuinely encouraged that even though he may personally have been suffering, God was going to do something bigger through it. And that even through his imprisonment, the gospel was being advanced. And that's all that mattered to him. I don't even think it was like a consolation for Paul. Like, Paul, I think, was completely content and even happy to be imprisoned if it meant advancing the gospel. That's where he was at. He wasn't looking for silver linings. He trained himself to see the whole cloud as good. And I think intentional training is exactly what it took for him to get there. You know, I think this is a pretty radical perspective when it comes to hardship, and it's not one that I think would be easy to develop, but I think if you really want to genuinely see the good that God is doing through any difficulties you might be experiencing, you've got to spend some time thinking, praying, and training yourself to have this perspective that God is going to use this for good. I encourage you guys to try this. Next time you go through something difficult or maybe you're, you're currently in a hardship, ask yourself and pray about this. How is God using my hardship to advance the gospel? And believe that he is because he is. know, a lot of times I think we struggle to be joyful because, you know, we just can't see the purpose behind something. And I promise you this, whatever purpose you come up with for whatever suffering you're enduring is just the tip of the iceberg. God is surely doing much more than we are able to discern. And and if you can't see something, just please, I encourage you, give God the benefit of the doubt. Like, have faith, have trust that God is using your circumstances, even your circumstances, to advance the kingdom. Amen? The last thing I think uh, Paul had to focus on was he was focused on Jesus. So we're going to continue reading. We'll jump to, to verse 21. Uh, for to me, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is where we got our, our, uh, our uh, uh, series from, to live is Christ. If I am uh, to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. I think Paul just thought about Jesus all the time. You know, even in other letters, like 2 um, Corinthians 4:17, he says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In Romans 8.18, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. This was Paul's whole mindset. What happens to me right now, it doesn't matter. I'm going to be with Jesus for eternity. And that's what he focused on. And, you know, I think where we set our focus is extremely Important. In Matthew 6, we'll read some words from Jesus here. It says, uh, for the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your whole sorry, I should probably turn there because this is cut off on the back. I forget about that. I'm just gonna read it out of the Bible, guys. Um Matthew six, twenty two, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness you know depending on what our eye is on we can either fill ourselves with light or we can fill ourselves with darkness what you see is what you get right if you think about it this way if you're taking a picture what you point the camera at is what you get a picture of right you could be like next to the most beautiful like scenic like waterfall with like greenery and flowers and all this and if you're like pointing out like a rotting, rotting stump next to the river That's what you're going to get a picture of. It doesn't matter what's right there if you're focusing on this, right? You know, when you think about hardship, there are a lot of negative thoughts and feelings that can come along with it. And those thoughts and feelings, they may need to be acknowledged, processed and grieved. But if you choose to dwell on them, they will take over your life. As Christians, I think we have to be able to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus, even in the midst and the presence of personal hardship. And right, now think about this. I have one final thought for us as we close out. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus in difficult times. So what do you think, what did Jesus focus on when he went through the most difficult thing any human has ever endured in history? Let's read in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus... So we just talked about the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. What was the joy that was set before Jesus? You know, one of the few times in my adult life that I've cried was when I saw my wife walking down the aisle at our wedding. I like literally could not contain it. I I just had to like tears just spilled out of my eyes. You know, we got to see this again. A few months ago, Lewis and Michelle got married right here on the stage. And uh, I was was sitting just a couple feet from Lewis. And Michelle walks in and everyone's eyes turned to him or to her. And Lewis just started bawling. Like he's just like ugly crying in front of everybody. It was embarrassing. (laughs) Uh, I was like, get it together, man. No. Uh, But that's like, why did he cry? It wasn't out of sadness, but out of pure joy seeing his beautiful wife walking toward him, knowing that he was going to spend the rest of his life with her. Do you know that the Bible says that you are the bride of Christ? Man or woman, it's theological. You're the bride, okay? I believe that that's what Jesus saw on the cross. And the moment he was enduring the suffering of the cross, he thought of you. He thought of me. He thought of the church. And he said to himself, if I finish this, we will be together forever. And he did it. And that's why we're here today. Amen. So I encourage you guys, focus outward, focus on advancing the gospel, and focus on Jesus. Amen. Uh, We're going to sing one more song. Kyle's got some words to say too. Amen. Thank you, Alex, for sharing that awesome message with us. Uh, two things just want to say. The first thing is, if you're visiting with us and you're interested in studying the Bible or being a member of our church, we have a Go With God study series on the wall there, so you can take a booklet and study with someone who's a part of the church here. Uh, the second thing is we're going to have a baptism right after church. Um, Connor Davila, if you could stand up, Connor. Come on. Woo! He's getting baptized, so... You guys can hang around after worship to see him get dunked today. So that, that's going to be awesome. All right. So you guys can stand up. We're going to sing uh, one last song. Hey, while we're standing, I just want to say a prayer. Uh, the Freeland group is here. Connor's getting baptized. It's so great. And, uh, and Charlie, the, one of the brothers from there, he actually went into the hospital with some blood sugar issues. So I just want to pray for him and pray before we sing this last song. And then we'll gather up for the baptism uh, in like 20 minutes. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, we just thank you so much that we got to worship you today. Thank you so much for uh, Franco doing such a great job leading our hearts in communion and for Alex preaching the word, for the worship team, and for this church family. We're so blessed. Uh, We want to pray specifically for Charlie, uh, that you'd heal him up all the way. And uh, just thank you so much for that Freeland House Church that we get to celebrate with today. Uh, We praise you for the joy set before us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from the Lansing Area Church of Christ. While we're happy to share this message via podcast, we'd love to pray and worship with you in person. To learn more about our services or to connect with us, please visit us at lansingchurch.org. Have a great week and go with God.